<laughs> oh dear. Hi, listeners. <laughs> Welcome to Podcast with Paul. <laughs> We've got interesting insights guaranteed, and it's time to increase your emotional intelligence. Are we up for increasing our emotional intelligence, listeners? Let's have lots of joy and fun and excitement for sure. Hey, I've got some really special guests along the way. Interesting people, really challenging ideas and challenging conversations. It's going to be amazing. You can learn more about what to do, why to do what to do, and what to do about it all. (laughs) So much fun becoming self-aware, motivated, alive, learning new ways to see the world. Hey everybody, welcome to Podcast with Paul. Uh, welcome everyone, it's Podcast with Paul time and it's the wonderful Mark Aston. Mark, welcome to Podcast with Paul. What a lovely experience this is expected to be. <laughs> <laughs> we could only hope, Mark. We were just having a chat how important it is to laugh and you sort of, sort of looked at the photo of me and said, that must have take, taken a long time ago. And I thought, I thought yeah, you're, Mark is still, still a prick. He's always been well, a prick. Well, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at that shirt and I'm thinking that'll eventually come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it will. I mean, I know what you're no, saying. It is a bit, it is a bit there, but that's beautiful. Anyway, yes, Mark, Mark Aston. Now everyone knows the name, but uh, can they put a face to it anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I think we should stop the podcast now because that's brilliant. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I look at quite seriously. I've got a couple of old photos. Well, not so much old. Probably ten, twelve years old from uh, when I was at Channel Ten, and they were promo photos. You know. And mate, they look magnificent. You know what? I mean? Seriously, <laughs> magnificent. The hair, the makeup, the lighting—it's yep, all great. Yep. And I get up in the morning and I look at myself in the mirror and I say, "Where did that go?" <laughs> well, I mean, look what I'm looking at now. I don't know how I did that. There was a time. There was a time. There was a time. But Mark, you haven't lost your voice, so you still got that mm. radio voice. It sounds all right. Mm, well, yeah. well, I don't know, but it's it's still a bit useful. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, it's sort of weird because. A lot of people recognise me, I don't say this to boast or anything, it's just a fact, but they recognise my voice rather than, quite often, rather than my face. They say, were you on radio? And I say, yeah, did you recognise my face? No, I know that voice. But but the voice voice to me is... It's just normal. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Weird. it is just your voice. But I, mm. I suppose that's the memory because people weren't seeing you, they were hearing you. Well, that yeah, that's true. But I, but I guess the point I'm making is I would have thought everyone's voice was similar, but obviously not. No, you know what I mean. Not, <laughs> no. not, not exactly the exactly, same. Exactly, exactly. But sort of similar. But anyway. Yeah. Mark, I know that you were probably pretty high profile in the dark ages mm. and in the media world. I was wondering... You're still a bit cluey when it comes to sport because I had a chat to you the other day and I saw you on on the radio talking sport. Mm. You got a natural thing about that. Is it just a natural thing that you love the love the games that people play? Look, I, I do. And if, if you go way back when I was young, I wasn't interested in sport at all. Well, I wasn't interested in the VFL or the cricket. I'm talking when I was 12, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. I was playing a bit of footy, playing a bit of cricket, but I didn't have a lot of interest in it. And to be honest with you, Paul, when I eventually got the job at the ABC in 82, 
I wasn't particularly, I wasn't a sports fanatic is what I'm trying to say. Most of the kids, in fact, probably all of them now, whether they be male or female, if they get a job as a sports reporter, you know, whether it be TV, radio or in print or maybe podcast, mate, they know everything. (laughs) No, but they do. They are are so into it. I don't think I've ever really been into it at that level. Obviously, when I got the job at the ABC, I needed to, you know, be into it because I was a sports reporter. So I had a bit of background and then I I gradually built that at Channel 10. I was the same. But to be absolutely frank, the last two or three years, I have dropped off a bit. I still know what's going on in the AFL. still have an idea as to what's going on with cricket, tennis, you know, golf in a general sense. But no, I'm, I'm nowhere near as close to it now as I used to be. I, I don't know why. I've, I've got other interests, but I don't know why. I guess maybe sometimes, you know, you do change direction and other things are, you know, take over from a, from a priority <laughs> I, point of I view. I also think that maybe you're probably focused on what you had to report on. 100%. And that's where your attention went. Oh, no doubt. And you then, had to know what you were talking then, about. And then obviously you're being fed as well. So yeah. the people who are offering you what's going on, because you're the presenter. Yeah. So you've got a team around you all the time. Well, that's right. And I was both because I was the presenter and the reporter. Yeah. And, and in the early days, I was the producer as well. So I was doing all three. But no, you're right. I mean, you know, I'll never, I'll never forget, you know, there was, a, there was a big story that broke down at Port Adelaide when John Cale was the coach and I'd been at Channel 10 and I'd presented the sport and they'd just had, Port Adelaide had just had a training, they were about to have a training session and my boss Grant Heading said to me just before I went on air, he said, now you sure you haven't missed anything today? He said, is there any any players missing from training? I said, well they haven't started training yet, I don't know, but I've rung their media manager and everything seems fine. Okay, all right, no worries. So I I'd read the sport. About half an hour later, I was having a drink. I don't drink now, of course, but I was having a drink at the Feathers Hotel and I was watching the TV. All of a sudden, up comes Darren Cale, John Cale's son, and the first words he says is, first to football and in an extraordinary set of circumstances, Port Adelaide's coach has gone missing. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, hang on, I need to know about this. Two seconds later, the phone rings. It's Grant Heading and he said, Mate, are you watching Channel Nine at the moment? I said, Grant, I'll be in in a second. And then for the next three days, we had to try and we had to try and track Jack down because he'd had a fight with the board. Oh, but but so, but yeah. But getting back to my my point, I guess the point, which is from your question, is in those days when that was happening, certainly football, I had a, a vast knowledge. There's no doubt about that. You had to. You had to have a vast knowledge. You've been on. You've been. You've been yeah. You got. You got to know what you're talking about. But there's also there's a bit of pressure around on, on that. But when you have that, you know that profile of being the expert, and then you, your your noise, the, the what you write, what you say, how you appear, all of that, mm. it's a bit of pressure lying around around <clears> that. <throat> mm. Is there another person or people or personality that you really enjoyed working with at that time? Do you remember from Channel Ten? Yeah, well, there was a number of them. I had the pleasure when I went to Sydney. I had the pleasure of working with uh, Sandra Sully. Now, Sandra's still at Channel 10. She's their highest profile newsreader. And I was reading The Late Sport. I was there for about three months. And it was she great... must have been young then. I don't know what well, that was. Been... Well, that was 20. That was probably 20 years ago. It was in around about 2000. I mean, she still looks fantastic now yeah, and, and, and still reads well. I really enjoyed, really enjoyed working with her. Look, 
look, I enjoyed working with George Denikian. That was good fun. I mean, George is a, a, a George is a funny character without thinking he's funny, and I, I mean that with the greatest <laughs> respect. And he's a very knowledgeable guy. And he uh, went into soccer, didn't he? A lot. Yeah, well, he loved his soccer. He loved, he his, loved soccer. his soccer. But I mean, George has got a, a, a very significant pedigree. I mean, George has been reading news or had been reading news well before that, and started off at SBS. But I enjoyed working with George. I, I, I in the early days, I I worked with Bruce McAvaney and we called races together. He was far more advanced than I was and was always far more advanced. But I learned a lot from Bruce. He was just, back then, he was still as professional as he is now and he gave me some great advice, some of which I took on. Uh, Paul, other uh, other advice which I didn't, much to my much to my chagrin. <laughs> That's all right. Bruce lived up the road from me, actually. I lived on down there. Well, I down the water. Up, grew up in, well, I grew up in Alamy Gardens and I don't know whether his mother had lived there, but oh. uh, he lived at Welland there. Well, I, 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 yeah, but his I, mum and dad. I, I was yeah. Rosetta Street and... And yeah, it was mum and dad, and so I think they're on the corner. Yeah, mm. and it's funny, Bruce seemed to be able to to change in different sports and different genres, and he was he got into the racing extremely well. So he, he got did. into calling the the yeah. calling the horse racing. Yeah, he loved I think, it. I thought, wow, that's clever. Mm. Then obviously he was brilliant at the athletics and did the Olympics, and mm. so he was great at the Olympics. Mm. And then suddenly he was on the football. And he goes, the footy. How are you doing the footy? And you would have thought there was other people that could do the footy as well, but no, he's he was front and centre of the footy. Mm. So he, he he really became very clever, but his voice was also, there you go, there it is, voice. Yeah. Because his voice was part of what we as Australians, I think, considered high-level sports. Very distinctive. And they're, and they're very distinctive. Yeah. And I think he had that way of bringing passion around it, but... That like proud Australian type feel yeah. when, when he spoke. He, he was, Paul, he was also very good at calling the moment. Mm. You can call a footy game for two hours, and there'll be a moment or two moments that are real, really pivotal, or in a four hundred metres race, or in a race, as in a four hundred metre athletic race, or a cox plate, or whatever. And he had the ability to not only pick that moment, but actually make a point of it. And that's the difference between someone who simply commentates, but some, as opposed to someone who really knows what they're doing. Yeah, he, mm. he, he really does. Mm. Uh, he did end up, you know, he was sick for a little mm. last year and he, mm. he, he, he declared that. But he seemed to be able to go, okay, that's the way it is. I have to deal with that. But he uh, he's still going, you know, he's still, he he's still there. And, he, and he's... Yeah. He's getting on, and I just when you when I did ask you how old you were, mm. you said, "Oh, Paul, I'm 65." 65, said, yeah. 65. You look 55. So, Mark, you're doing something good. Oh, um, well, thank well you. is that exercise or what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm not drinking. Uh, <laughs> not drinking and exercise. Not, take, not taking drugs. <laughs> not taking drugs. Yeah, I'm doing a little bit of exercise. Look, I guess, and thank you. And you know, that's a nice thing to say. But having said that, what's more important is is my actions rather than how I look. But I guess I get that youthfulness from God. I sound egotistical there. I don't mean to sound that, but Gran was youthful. Yeah, until the it day, is in the blood sometimes. And Dad you know? was and Dad was youthful. I mean, oh. Dad Dad was youthful to the honestly. It's, this is this will sound really unusual, but when Dad passed away, we took a photo of him in the casket, and he'd never looked better. In fact, it was a shame he was dead. <laughs> But he really looked good. He was he was eighty five, and I reckon he looked sixty. Honestly, he looked fair. It, when I'm in a casket, I want to look that good. <laughs> you want to look that good. Now, now, that's what we, you were saying to me before, Mark. You said I was at uh, me and Dad were at Mum's funeral, 
and you had a good laugh as well, as, as well as having a good cry. Mm. You had a good laugh, and here you are talking in a positive light around Dad's funeral. Mm. And you know, I've been to a few few funerals recently, and you start to realise as you're getting older that you go to more funerals because yeah. you know people that are older than you that you know, and, and there's family members, and there's their family members, and you've mm. even got family, and you've got your friends' family members. So my friends' mum and dads, when they've passed, you got to go. So it's a lot of this, you know, it gets a bit reflective when, about your own journey. It when does. You're, when you're sitting in the chair of the, on hearing the story, looking at the pictures, you go, bloody hell, we're all not here long, really. And It makes you appreciate it. It makes it? you appreciate yeah. it. But I also get this overwhelming thought also that you can have a celebration around the fact that you knew the person or that you had some form of relationship with the person and that you were there even at the funeral to celebrate that person's life. Now, our life could be a celebration as well as we could all be very sad that they're no longer there, mm. but we could also be very happy that we actually were there Absolutely. for a period of time in that person's life. Mm. That's a and, good point. And yeah. you said to me that you did have a laugh with Dad and that your dad and mum really got on good. So they were They did, they, yeah. They were all right together. Oh, that, look, they were. Mum, mum was in and out of Glenside in the 70s and, uh, I mean, this is not a story I haven't told before, but mum had severe mental health issues. But at the same time, if she was sitting here now, you know, you sort of wouldn't really necessarily know. It's mental health. Yeah, yeah. It's a strange thing, mental health. We're, yeah. all, we've all got some. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But anyway... One of mum's issues was that mental health can make you... uh, She was also, I I guess, technically an alcoholic. But to get through the day, she'd have a little scotch in the morning, say about 7.30 when she'd get up, and then another one at, say, 8. She'd make our breakfast, and then she'd probably go back to bed or she'd stumble around, and when we get home from school, for example, you know, she'd be sloshed. And Anyway, I mean, that, 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 that sort of happened a lot. But the point is she didn't have the ability to clean the house. Or do stuff that, and I don't mean this to sound sexist, and it will sound sexist, but I mean back in those days that was sort of that was role. part of the that was part of what was expected. R- ridiculous you know. now, Paul. yeah. But anyway, so Mum was not known for her, and we didn't really understand what the mental health issues were back in those days. No one really did. No, no, and one you did. probably didn't know. You probably didn't analyse much why things were the way they were No, for we her. didn't. Well, we were, we were probably, young. You probably didn't know, and you probably thought, well, this might be normal, you know. Yeah. My dad was also, like you say, in a similar type place. It's a thing, but it's obviously a leaning on something. Yeah. In their life, mm. you experience it. We've all experienced what addiction is and how that can, and what, what flares up around that. But it is interesting when you look at it, you can look at it and say, oh, well, that person was this or was that, and you make, make some judgments around it. But we all don't know their journeys. We don't know. We don't always know. And we're trying to deal with oh, our own journey. That's right. And it's really what was her mum's journey? What was her dad's journey? And what was that journey? Unless you step in their shoes. You Unless don't you know. step in the shoes. Mm. And you were obviously one of how many children? I was one of three. Robbie and Kathy were. Robbie Kath- and Kathy's Kathy. my sister, and, and Rob's. And, and back in those days. You're quite right. We didn't know what was going on with mum. She was given no. Valium by the doctor. She was given shock treatment. When she was out of work, she'd be in Glenside. But just finishing that story off about the funeral. So mum wasn't known for her housework, right? <laughs> and the place, as a result, was pretty filthy, really. It was really up to Rob and Kathy and, and I to, to clean it, and we were all too busy running around doing silly things at that age. You know, yeah. We were only 12, 13, 14, 15. So anyway, when mum passed away, sadly, of cancer, dad and I were sitting in the in the church and you know the, the the coffin was there and dad looked across and said wouldn't it be funny if all of a sudden from the coffin the sound of a vacuum cleaner started <laughs> <laughs> now to some people paul that's offensive shockingly <laughs> offensive but to dad and i 
it sort of helped us get through. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that your dad must have been there with that mum and hanged in through, through that as best he could. He did, did, he, he? did he didn't, he didn't, he didn't. He was never going to leave mum, but he, he ran a gym in Hindley Street from about 68 until about 88. Uh, oh, that's I, 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. So mm. he did that until he was about... 70 I think so he was oh no probably yeah he started that when he was about 45 50 but anyway the point is he knew mum was unwell he provided a roof he provided you know shelter love to a certain extent but at the same time as can happen when a partner is coping with another partner's mental health issues he needed an outlet and his outlet was work and so he was very much involved in the gym. He was there all the time. He was coaching football teams, as in fitness coaching. He had he was a mentor to a lot of people. He was there until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, Paul, pretty well every night. So, you know, he'd go in when I started working for him. We'd go in about 11 o'clock in the morning. But the point I'm making is Dad was there. He never left Mum, but he needed a coping mechanism himself. So it was it was a pretty unusual sort of it's setup. It's not, not easy uh, no. for you as young children. To have to live in what could be considered somewhat dysfunctional. Yeah, yeah. And obviously sometimes these dysfunctional starts in life, we don't deal with them till later in our lives because we can't work out some of the dysfunction that we, we also mm. have. And I understand I had some dysfunctional history as well. And we don't necessarily think it's dysfunctional at the time. No, we've got no Because idea. we've got nothing to compare it with. <laughs> no yeah. idea at all. Yeah. And the idea that the adversity that you face you know, with that in life it probably does build us in our character. It makes us who we are, probably. And so you can look back at it and think, oh, well, you know, I wish it would have been different. But there's no value in thinking it would have been, could have been, would have been, should Can't have been. Can't change it, no. The idea is to say, okay, where did, what did we learn from that and what strengths did we get from it and how did we survive? But where were you born, Mark? What, what, are you an Adelaide boy yeah. through and through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I was born... At the Women's and Children's in 1958. Oh, yeah, in town, yeah. So that was, yeah, 1958, 27th of August, 1958. And we lived in Rochester Street, Leebrook. Dad was buying that house. Oh, um, should have stayed there. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately he lost it. He was a gambler and he lost it. Oh, he lost it. Wow, he so, was a gambler and he lost his house. Yeah. Now, that's a story maybe not everyone knows. No, it, and, and it's most unfortunate. And, uh, and what, then, what was he gambling, do you know? Your horses. Oh, he loved yeah. the horses, yeah. And uh, he was an athlete as well. He was a world champion athlete, so he was. Sort of was a, he? Yeah, yeah. He, That's he, why he had the gym thing, and he had the athlete thing. Yeah. What, what was his athletic ability? He, he, he was a sprint champion. So oh, he could run. Yeah. So in f- 1946, he won a world title uh, down at Cadinia Park in Geelong. Beat representatives from Jamaica, the US, UK, and stuff. And then from then he won Australian titles. And then as he and he was very very good. What distance? What was he doing? Short. 70, 90, well, they were yards in those days. So those it was yards. 70, 90, 110, 220. Mm. Well, that 220 is not There's sure. a few trophies running around at home. I've got some beautiful, and I'm very grateful that I've got them. He, he, they won sashes, mm. and they're beautiful sashes. They don't make mm. them anymore like that. They're magnificent sashes with beautiful emblems and, and embroidery and stuff. But dad, yeah, dad lost uh, the house, and then we all ended up living with my grandparents in it uh, in Glenunga. But yeah, so th- that was probably, I guess, my life changed from that point of view, which I had no idea. Were you idea. at school at that time when dad lost the house? I was, yeah. All oh, right, so I, you were. At I was school. at Marriottville. Oh, you were at Marriottville for about six months. Marriottville oh, right. Primary. Marriottville Primary. Yeah. Oh, all right, yeah. Yeah. Then we moved to Glenunga, and then yeah, I. Then you went to, to Glenunga Primary. Uh, no, I went to Glen Osmond Primary. Oh, Which, you, you were hanging around the Toffs at that time. <laughs> well, we were renting, though. We, we were. You were renting we, up there. We were, we, were in, we were in Glenunga Avenue. Oh, so we, you were in top in the town. <laughs> mate, we, we were in Glenunga Avenue. In fact, 
Interestingly, and I loved it. We were there for eight years. Oh, Me, Kathy, very leafy Robbie, district. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, mum and dad with my grandparents. And of course, Gran was my mum. Really, she was my mum because mum wasn't well. And oh. we, we all lived here, and I loved it. We were there from about 58, from about 64 until 72. And, but we were renting. But it was, it's a beautiful street. And the house next door, which was owned by the Lorbeers, he was a doctor, oh, yeah. was sold 12 months ago, and it was in the paper. A thousand square metres. They finally knocked the house down. They got two million for it. It was a record, <laughs> a record in the state. Two million dollars. <laughs> it's funny how hey? the world changed. Oh, wow. <laughs> snigger. What the hell is that? A thousand yeah. square metres? <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. So that's interesting. So that whole place of where your grandma and grandma and the three kids, mm. then you went to high school? Where was that? I went to Adelaide Tech, yeah. I was there oh, they, they sent you to Adelaide and all that. That was like a private school, but wasn't. It was like... That didn't uh, last long. Why is that? Well, well because I was too... Inter- I was gambling then. I was too interested in Oh, having... were you gambling when you were young? Yeah, 14. Oh. Well, I started wow. drinking at 14 and started smoking dope at 14 and started... Gambling at fourteen, but well, I, I suppose you would because they were the days when there was a bit of there was smoking was common. Oh, we all smoked, and yeah. we and it was a carefree little world. It was a funny little world we totally. lived in. I was, I you, know, you and me, the same. But I can't, I can't imagine we could get away with the sorts of things we get away with. But I remember not rocking up at school. I'd get there in the morning, get ticked off, go to the first lesson. And then if you didn't like the next lesson, you've already ticked off on the day. You might, you know, you might go for a walk, might go to the Oval. Yeah. And, you know, you, yeah. and I'll be smoking under the tree or something. Then yeah. it's recess time. You go, okay, I'll come. I'll go to that. I like that guy. I'll go to that ne- yeah. next lesson. Yeah. And the way we treated school wasn't as serious. No. I was like, oh, you must be serious about it. And the way we, <laughs> the way, the way we treated the teachers wasn't that nice sometimes. And the way we treated girls, I remember the girls and, the, you know, they were like, you know, well, that was an adventure, yeah. but you know that was. Well, I was very, time. I was very shy. You were shy. Oh, I was shockingly shy, shockingly, shockingly, shockingly shy. In fact, I've just caught up with uh, over the last twelve months. Caught up with a former. She was just a girlfriend for a couple of weeks. Dora, beautiful girl. She's an artist actually, and caught up with her, and we were having a chat. And I told her when I went over to her place about six months, five, six months ago. We were talking about the school days and I told her how shy I was and how I didn't think any of the girls liked me and to my much to my surprise she said, Oh yeah, but hang on, Ruth really liked you and Carol here we go. Like, you know <laughs> you what go, I'm saying? Yeah, they go they like your perception. But you didn't know how to move. Well, you didn't I, know what to do. How I, do you get that? I, I, I know no what idea. you say. I had no idea. How do we I always say that you lament the ones that you didn't say hello to. Mm. You end up saying hello to the ones you do. And you always think, oh, the ones that got away. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I think obviously a few got away from my point of view, but I, but I had no idea. Ah, oh, thank you, listeners. That was Mark Aston's first episode with podcast with Paul. Didn't we have an interesting conversation with the wonderful Mark? Yes, uh, that voice, you know, Channel Ten, ABC, very knowledgeable about the sport and uh, that world. And he had a lot of contacts, and he worked with a lot of very interesting people that we all remember. I know that there's still some there. Now working in the field, he worked with Sandra Sully, he worked with George Danikian, Bruce McAvaney, and he said he learned a lot. Boy, we were just so interesting to hear his side of the story. And look, we heard about his mum, you know, that health problem. You know, we had some issues back when we were younger and he had to face some stuff. And uh, I think he's being very honest, telling us about how it was at the funeral, the comedy of it. He's still laughing at life. Mark's just an interesting person who's still willing to share and he's vulnerable about it. It's interesting, we can learn from Mark, you know. Now we're back in the school days. Thanks, everyone. That was episode one. Let's look forward to episode two. Cheers. That's another episode from Podcast with 
Oh, special thanks, everyone. Remember to keep an eye out for our next exciting episode with more fun special guests. Find out more of what we're all about and look up the Laughter Project. Hey, everyone. Be happy.